0: Hello and welcome to the Construction Corner Podcast. I'm Dylan, I'm your host. And guys, today we have a great guest. We're gonna talk a little bit about real estate, but Trent Bray. Trent is an entrepreneur and been involved in many businesses over the years from automotive to video editing, real estate, and he's shifting focus to help entrepreneurs find their focus and escape the nine to five, which we'll get into a little bit down the road. But uh, Trent, welcome to the Construction Corner podcast.
1: Thank you, Dylan. Really appreciate being here. Really appreciate you, uh, you know, giving me time to come speak to your audience. And I'm just here to hopefully provide some value.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, man. We've uh, known each other for probably, what year and a half now, and it's uh, yeah. it's been good to kind of see your journey as you've uh, gone through a lot of stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You've definitely provided a lot of value to me over the last year and a half. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely appreciate that. And hopefully, uh, you know, I can r- return the favor in time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's all a long game. I mean, that's the biggest thing that I, I see out there uh, with entrepreneurs, people in construction in general is, you know, you're going, you're trying to go tit for tat, right? And you're not trying mm-hmm. to build a, a relationship with somebody that's going to last 10, 20, you know, a career. (laughs) Right. Uh, But first I wanted to start with 75 hard. So Mm -hmm. for 75 hard, you want to tell people what the program is and then kind of what you've learned from it. Uh, I've done it myself, but uh, just as a quick little thing on what 75 hard is and what you've gained from the program.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So 75 Hard is a mental toughness program designed by Andy Frazella. It is 75 days of doing hard tasks, basically, which individually, they aren't that difficult. But when you add them up over 75 days of having to do them consistently, it really becomes a difficult thing. So you have an outdoor, one outdoor workout that's 45 minutes long, an indoor workout, or or it could be outdoor, I guess, as well. But two 45-minute workouts Mm -hmm. One of them has to be outdoors. 10 pages of reading, a gallon of water. Um, and I, I forget, I'm, I'm missing one there. But anyway, the, the point is, its it can be very difficult when life gets in the way, right? So we all have so many things going on in our day. And when it's 10 o'clock at night, your dog of 12 years has just died. You're facing lockdowns. You just had an earthquake here in Salt Lake City, and you still have to do an outdoor workout. It really pushes your mental toughness to realize that all the excuses that people put out there are just BS. Like that's just what it is. Is all the things that people say, "I don't have time for this," or "I don't," "I'm not capable of doing that." It's not true, um, and that's what I learned from the program just in that first 75 days, um, and then. From there, it continues on to different phases where you add in uh, a five-minute cold shower and uh, adding things to a power list that you have to accomplish no matter what that advance your business each day. And adding those things onto it just, again, further shows what you're capable of, what you can do, um, and all the excuses that you had in your head are invalid (laughs) and you are truly capable of doing so much more, but it also shows you the power of consistent habits because as you do this every single day, it becomes part of your routine and you can see the physical transformation through this process as well. And what what can happen over those 75 days. Whereas most people look in, okay, what can I change in the next seven days or what can I change in the next hour or what pill can I take to, you know, lose weight or, you know, the easy way out, this shows you how to do things the difficult way, but in the end it, you realize how much easier things get by doing the difficult things.
0: Absolutely. The, so I did 75 hard, uh, starting, Day after Christmas last year, and went through, got sick on it, and got to where I could only do like two walks a day. Right. So it doesn't have to be like super strenuous of a workout. Right. right. You just have to, you need to move. And I did like two walks outside a day. Just that's about all I could do. I was that sick. And through that time, actually, I learned to program and it put me in a way better place than I ever would have been had I not just buckled down and and did it, but it was part of the discipline. You know, I was like 60 days in when I got sick. So it's, you know, you're not going to quit 15 days from the end, uh, you know, for no good reason. So that's one of it. And then phase one, when you do add the three tasks on top of it, I mean, that is very mentally taxing to be able to get through that much stuff in a single day. And it just definitely shows you how much you can do and probably the one thing that you missed was uh diet so no alcohol yes. no yep, cheap yep. meals no sugar you know like you gotta whatever your diet is you gotta stick to it so no alcohol for you know the duration of the, the program
1: yeah no that 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 diet thing that is definitely one thing that is involved in that um uh, but that again shows the discipline it's not a specific thing where you have to follow a specific diet. Like you said, you don't have to follow a specific workout regimen, but you just have to put in the work consistently. And you know what, that makes a, a big difference in just developing those habits.
0: Yeah. I find myself even when I'm not technically like doing 75 hard or not counting the days that I still by and large, drink a gallon of water. I go on at least a workout, you know, or a walk a day. I'm lifting outside of that. Typically, my diet's pretty good, (laughs) fairly on point for the plan. And, you know, I, I still read, I read a lot, um, probably finish, uh, I don't know, a couple hundred pages a week, uh, worth of books. So it's, which probably is about a book a week is about book, uh, maybe a week, week and a half is my like average. Roughly, some yeah. of the books I'm reading are like 800 pages right now, so it, it takes a little <laughs> longer to get through. Right. That.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that that's one thing I don't I change a little bit when I'm not on the program is I do tend to prefer audiobooks, so I will still listen to you know material that uh, is positive and helps me progress, and but I'm not always turning the pages.
0: How big has that been for you in listening to more, let's call it positive or self-improvement type content versus, or what did you even listen to previously? Or did you, you know, listen to any books, read any books? What was your thing before? Yeah. So prior
1: to 75 hard, I wasn't as big of a reader. I mean, pretty much I only read uh, magazines. That was <laughs> that was it. But um, I started a self development journey probably three ish years ago, and at that point in time, I, that's when I discovered Andy Frazella and the MF CEO Project, his podcast at the time, um, and that was definitely a life transformation for me. You know, understanding the power of mindset and you know, these habits and, uh, surrounding yourself with the right people and all these different things that I had never been introduced to before that has been life-changing. And at that point I did start reading some, but it wasn't a consistent thing. Um, uh, but you know what, having the, having discovered podcasts and audiobooks and you know, all that, that stuff that was completely new to me, um, like I said, prior to that self-development journey, the only thing I'd pick up was a magazine. Um, And so, and it was usually automotive-based. That's what, (laughs) that's what interested me at the time. And so it wasn't, uh, you know, learning anything that really helped me in self-development or in that journey of growing my business or anything like that. So by learning those tactics, learning those things, it's, made a tremendous improvement in my attitude mindset uh, capabilities abilities you know i i used to quit things pretty frequently i'd start things all the time it'd get tough and i'd quit them um but you know with what i'm doing now it's something that took years to accomplish and it's just the beginning of the journey it's really what it is and so um, you have to learn about the perseverance and the, the time it takes to build these things. And so, uh, sometimes you have to learn that the hard way, but going through that self-development journey has helped shortcut that process.
0: And three years ago, we're, I guess, let's go back a little bit first and then we'll come back into to what you're doing now. But, you know, like why did you want to become an entrepreneur or how long have you been in this entrepreneurial? Like I have my own business. I don't work for anybody. I set my own schedule. Mm-hmm. How long have you been in this type of world? If you will.
1: Yeah. So I, it goes back a, a ways. Both my parents were entrepreneurs. Um, but I'm the youngest in my family. So I saw them at their most successful. Um, And so to me, entrepreneurship was easy. You know, I started um, really, if you want to go way back, it goes to selling baseball cards at the local park at age six. Uh, That's, that's where I kind of started, you know, reselling some of those desirable cards that I had uh, to help fund purchasing new cards, Uh, the duplicates, I should say, but the, it really started when I was 14. Um, I was interested in web development and at the time it was just HTML4 pretty much, pretty basic in terms of website creation. Uh, but I was 14 years old I didn't have a car. there's no YouTube. Uh, there's no real way no real good resources to learn that. Um, the only thing I remember using is WebMonkey to help code which colors I wanted to use. so tell you the hex codes to, choose the colors. But what I did to learn how to build websites is I'd go to a website, right click, view source code, and then reverse engineer it. So I'd sit there. Okay. starts with an HTML tag, ends with ending the HTML tag. Okay. I've got that. Now let's figure out the middle. And I just type it into notepad and build websites from there. And that led to, you know, building websites for friends and family and eventually businesses. Um, And it was all just so easy uh, which, you know, is largely the amount of timing and something that I was really passionate about. I didn't realize that at the time, but as that world changed and became more difficult to be able to keep up with web design, you know, I I'd, I'd ended up getting into some vending machines, um, automotive parts distribution, and, you know, this is all through high school. Um, that I was working on these companies. And then when things just started getting tough, I, I realized that I was like, Oh, I don't really want to do this. The first business was so easy. Entrepreneurship's easy. So if this isn't working for me, then I just need to stop doing it. And that became a pattern that unfortunately, uh, at least at the time it was unfortunate. I've learned a lot of great lessons now, but, um, at the time, it was like, you know, I, I see my parents, you know, they're, they're just killing it. You know, they, it's, it's easy for them in a way. Um, and they'd been on a path of success for a while at that point in time. And so I only saw that successful side of things. I didn't see the struggles. Um, so it put me in a place where, you know, it humbled me, I had to work you know, retail jobs worked car sales, you know, I did some property management and, you know, all sorts of odd jobs, regular nine to five jobs. And it got to the point where I was like, all right, I can't stand this anymore. Um, I've got to get out of this. And it led down a path of, um, you know, of where I wanted to end up being lifestyle wise. And uh, eventually got into um, house flipping, um, fortunately had a great mentor in that and um, have a business partner involved in that where, you know, it's not a huge operation. It's, it's perfectly scaled to where I don't have to put as much effort into it at this point in time. Uh, we typically flip 10 to 15 properties a year here in the Salt Lake Valley. Um, and that's where it's really manageable. It's it's now at a point where it's like, okay, I've got to go all in, or I've just got to let it ride and focus on some other business ventures.
0: And with that, like, what ultimately led you to to real estate and kind of the house flipping side of things? Like, what was that catalyst for you to to get into that?
1: Yeah, so that was several. Several things, uh, having a, a great mentor, which uh, is actually my my mother who, you know, I mentioned has, uh, you know, had successful businesses. She's exited them. At one point she was flipping houses herself. Um, and, you know, she was riding that pre-2008 ride where, you know, she was doing like a hundred single family homes a year. Um, but, you know, she had gotten out of the game and um you know moved on some other business ventures but you know she was really instrumental in helping understand you know some of the intricacies of the market and um relating some of her information she at the time was really had a really narrow niche in terms of um the area she worked in and because of inventory issues you know, that's not something I can do. <laughs> uh, but um, it helped translate some of those and was able to partner with somebody who um, was also new to the game, but, uh, you know, helped bring some different aspects to it. And we were able to work, you know, hands on for the first several properties. I'm not very handy myself but it was a good learning experience. So if there was a home project, I just wouldn't touch it because it's like, all right, I've got a $50 budget, but if I screw this up, it's $200 to fix it. And there goes the budget, you know? So it's like, I'm not even going to touch it. But when you're working on a house with a 10, 20, 30, $100,000 budget, you screw up a $200 item, it gets eaten up pretty easily. So it's like, all right, I'm willing to tackle that because if it if it gets messed up, Oh, well, we'll make it up somewhere else. And by doing that, having that attitude, that mindset, I was able to accomplish a lot of things. You know, I was sitting there framing walls and I was, um, you know, doing tile and, you know, some electrical and some things that I never would have done before um, that I was able to accomplish. And that was a huge confidence booster and also necessary for me to be able to relinquish some of the control of the, you know, turning it over to somebody to manage it because I understood it more.
0: And with that, I mean, you talked kind of about, you know, getting into it and was the real catalyst in getting into it, uh, like your mom, cause you've seen somebody do it. And so that was an easy avenue for you to, to go into,
1: uh, that definitely played a part, but you know, anybody who is anybody, um, talks about how real estate is a way to help build long-term wealth. And, you know, that's something that I'd like to be able to spend more time with my family. So I've got three young kids. Um, I love being involved in their lives. And having a real estate portfolio will help provide the ability for me to be there for their recitals, be there for their sports events, be there for all these things that, uh, to be frank, my parents weren't there for growing up because they were building their businesses. So no, no judgment there for them. They were trying to provide the best life that they could for their family. But, um, at the same time, it helped me realize I want to be there for my kids. I want to be there. And so, yes, I'm not going to become to Jeff Bezos level of entrepreneurship. That's just not what I aspire to be, but, I want to be able to have that flexibility while still providing for my family and real estate's definitely a way to do that.
0: Yeah. There can definitely be a lot of <clears throat> time, uh, free time in real estate once <laughs> you get to a, a certain level, right. That it provides a recurring income, a cash flow, or you're, you're spending a few hours a day, like, especially in your position where you're checking in on crews or handing over management to somebody else, you know, you like, how many homes did you work on initially by yourself to get it up and off the ground? Right. Like how many, how long was that until you were able to, to hand it off, you know, years or.
1: Yeah. So it was probably until it came, became completely hands off. It was probably about uh, two ish years. Um, but over time it was definitely outsourcing more and more throughout and seeing what worked, what didn't work. There's definitely some mistakes along the way where we lost a lot of money for <laughs> outsourcing the wrong way. Um, but it really came down to meeting the right partner, the right person to handle that. Um, you know, I, um, Sean Whalen actually posted something today about um, what it takes to become a successful realtor. And it, he talked about how it's the actual, you know, the best realtors focus on the deal, not the commission. They wanna get the deal done, doesn't matter what the commission is. And all along the way, people selling houses for us were all focused on the commission and short, short-sighted. short We thought we found somebody that would work well. They worked a couple deals for us and realized, again, they were focused on the commission side of things and, finally came across a realtor who was focused on the deal. He's like, we're $5,000 away. Well, why don't I just cut my commission out and we'll get the deal done for you. And it was like, you, you do that? And he's like, yeah, because there's gonna be more deals down the, down the road. And once I met that type of person, I was like, okay, yeah, this is the right, the right partner for this. And it turns out he does his own flips and he manages flips for other investors. And it just, this relationship developed where it was like, all right, you know, I, he's been consistent to his word every time, you know, he's protected how much profit we get, even at his expense. Um, And he's rarely wrong. I mean, obviously there's things that happen, you know, I'm understanding of that, but you know, it's not like the previous realtor we were using, you know, he'd say, Let's price this at 470. We'll have a bidding war at 470. And you know, we end up selling the house a year later at 385 <laughs> while paying an HOA each month for this thing. I mean like those were just huge missteps. Um but this this uh, partner has been really great to work with and he has basically incorporated a deal structure that works well that Yes, I give up some profit in the process, but all I have to do is walk in, identify the house, go over a timeline, go over a budget, and I never have to see the thing again, and it works really well.
0: Yeah, I mean, identifying partners in it are so crucial, and throughout a lot of the experience I've had in construction, it's there are people that want to get the project done right? And then there are the people that want their nickels and dimes all along Mm -hmm. the way. And the people that want to get the project done are the people you want to work with again. And in construction, there's always another project Uh, for everybody out there. Like, you know, you're always going to work on another project unless you're going to retire, which that's a different story. But for most of us, it's going to be another project. It's going to be the next thing. And you're going to want to work with the people that were more intent on getting it done and having a good project and mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, filling out the right paperwork and stuff along the way as changes happened, as things came up on the project, but nobody likes to be nickeled and dimed. So the most yeah. that you can do to maybe limit those, uh, understanding that like changes do happen, everybody gets that in construction that's in the trade, but understanding that if you can have the attitude of getting the deal done, not <laughs> like, what, what's mine out of this, you're going to ultimately be more successful in the end. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And you know what, The that's what's been great about building this relationship. And you know what, it's really come down to, you know, all the success through the house flipping has been through relationships. You know, you've got a good relationship with a countertop person. You've got a good relationship with you know, a carpet person, it's all these relationships build up. And over time, they help you become more successful. Because again, they're the type of people that are going to get the job done. Even if it's at a short term loss, they know they'll make it up, they'll recoup it in the long run.
0: Right. And one of the big things in construction is, you never know when that next project is coming. And if the faucet gets turned off, right, you have three, four clients, and the, you, know, you piss all of them off you know you're not going to get paid for anything right so is it better to take a little bit less maybe maybe on a project or just do the right thing you know maybe it takes you a little more time but are you really out any money to ultimately have the thing go through to ensure that you get the next one that you keep the faucet flowing right that you keep projects coming that you keep getting paid not just one time you're done and you got to go hunt and find and spend a lot of money to attract the next client. Right. And it's,
1: it's also crucial though, that if you're that, you know, subcontractor to make sure the relationship you're building with this contractor is the right one too, because if you take a short-term haircut on this one, are they going to still be around? Do they value you enough that you know what, they are going to keep you around for the next project, or do they just see you as, hey, let's drill down this cost as much as possible, and then I'll find somebody else next time, or my preferred guy is busy this time, so I had to choose you this time.
0: That's a great point. And I think most people don't necessarily look or call around on the references (laughs) to those people. You know, like what's the reputation for these firms across the industry, right? In your area, for sure, there is a reputation for those firms and it's, mm-hmm. you probably find out in a couple of calls, you probably know somebody ask around, you know, what are the reputation here? Are they known for being straight or are they a little shady?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's led to some synergies where I've, to, where I've attempted to uh, purchase companies that we were working with. Um, ultimately it didn't work out, but um it was pretty easy to figure out the reputation and figure out where they were falling short, where it was easy to make those changes, uh, just in doing the due diligence process. And, um, it's, people are transparent. They're, they're going to let you know, if you ask, like, (laughs) it's not going to be something where you have to really pry it out of them. Be like, Hey, I'm thinking of working with Dylan. What do you think of Dylan? Well, you're going to have a hundred people stand up and say, Dylan is awesome to work with, but you know what, there's same thing goes the other way. If you you're difficult to work with, people are going to let you know.
0: Yeah. And in all the, the homes that you've flipped and going through this, what are maybe some of the tips that you have for the audience that might be looking to getting into flipping or buying a fixer? Um, What are some of the kind of takeaways that you've had over all your experience?
1: Yeah. So I think it comes down to, you know, really anything in business related, you don't know what you don't know. So there are things that I had no idea uh, prior to getting into flipping, um, you know, outside of minimal things. So like when I Purchased my home, um, man. It was 2008. Um, It, you know, radon was a thing that nobody really tested for, but it was kind of aware because Salt Lake Valley has a has not necessarily a huge problem, but we have a lot of radon here. Um, And so we tested at our house, but it was really at the urging of our inspector. It wasn't required well, now it is required. Like that's something that they have to test on every house. Um, And, you know, if you go into the process, not knowing that, for example, it's um, it could really, you know, hurt you in the end, because the best way to get these deals is to go through with cash in hand or, you know, a hard money lender or something like that, where you got to be the person who can get them the money the quickest, and that's how you're gonna get your deal closed as quick as possible. Um, and whereas, you know, most people think in the traditional, okay, 30 day close terms, gotta get financing, gotta go through the inspection. But if you're going out there, you're making a deal quick, you don't go through any of those inspection processes, you've gotta know what to look for, you gotta know your area. Um, and people are really, other people who are more intelligent than you are going to be able to tell you those things to look out for. So uh, we've made a few mistakes over the years of not asking the right questions, not asking the right people, um, but it's knowing the right people that are willing to help. It's really it's really good to develop those relationships with those people who can help you answer those questions. Um, now, like I said, I've got a partner in this real estate agent that we can walk through and identify problems like that, um, that we know will come up in an inspection. Um, we know the areas where radon is more prevalent. We know the signs to look for in meth use and, (laughs) you know, all these things that can usually trip things up along the way of the process. Um, so it really comes down to knowing what, you know, and then outsourcing the rest in helping, having somebody else to rely on to help you see that process. So if you're buying your first property, you don't know what to look for, bring someone along with you that does know, even if you have to pay them a little bit, you know what, bring them along to point out those things that you may miss, uh, because that can save you a lot of money in the long run.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I found uh as we're starting to look for houses or just being a little more active in our local real estate market is the prevalence of cash offers. Mm-hmm. And how much for like a normal like house, we're in like a vacation community being two and a half hours from the Bay Area, but you know, I mean, houses up to like five, six hundred grand cash. It's yep. uh pretty like most of the country is not used to like mm-hmm. that type of operation where there's four, I guess, disparity. So you have like the San Francisco Bay area. So you have all the tech companies that are doing really well. And just to like minimally live there, you probably need to be making a hundred grand to be like, you know, doing okay. You're probably making 200, 250. And then to be doing well, you know, you're making a million a year, right? And and especially working for a lot of these very large corporations. So, and to buy a two-bedroom condo in San Francisco is going to cost you like 1.5. And then to come here and buy a $300,000 house is like, oh, that's nothing. You know, it's bigger than my condo on more land. You know, I'm just going to pay cash. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So we found that, like, and our looking, we go and look at something and it's already like gone in, right. you know, less than a week, uh, being on the market and cash offer and they close, you know, in however many days.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's definitely the name of the game is, you know, being able to have Cash offer, quick close, and that's really something that's uh, been beneficial. Having a good partner with a title company is that they can <laughs> be able to get through that that process and that paperwork quickly enough to match what you're able to do with the cash. So it's like, you know, some people can close in seven days, some people can close in five. I've closed in as little as three days. You know, it's just one of those things where it's like you've got to be on top of that to be able to get the deal, or else. You know what? The, you could lose out, like you're you're unfortunately experiencing Um now. Obviously, there's different levels to this. Whereas, you know, the Bay Area five six hundred thousand dollars is no big deal. You know, it, here in the Salt Lake Valley, you know, we typically deal in the houses of three hundred to five hundred thousand, and then you know, a mutual acquaintance acquaintance of ours, uh, Tio Bogdan, he's dealing with. $30,000 to forty thousand dollars. So, <laughs> I mean, there's there's a wide range depending on where you are in the country, um, and you know what you're dealing with um, can make that difference. So, uh, there's definitely opportunities where you know there's a a local real estate investor here um, who promotes doing deals in Orlando, Florida, because the the cash flow on the rentals works out really well there. It's a destination location. Uh, there's lots of job opportunities there. Um, things aren't quite a shutdown there. And so they're a big proponent of buying rentals and uh, getting a good cash flow coming in through Orlando, Florida, even though they're in Utah. So there is definitely opportunities uh, for real estate investment, even if it's outside your locale. A lot of people tend to focus on their locale just because. That's what they're familiar with, Uh, but again, finding the right partner in a different area, it can still work. Um, For example, you know, working with uh, you know my my mother, she's seen this happen here. She heard about an opportunity in Idaho, and she's like, "I'm going to start investing again. I'm going to start doing flips again in Idaho." Unfortunately, she didn't pick the best partner to do that with. It didn't work out so well, but (laughs) there, there is opportunity anywhere, as long as you can find that right partner.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you're hammering on partners and obviously it can go both ways, right? Right. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And what are some of the things that you look for in vetting partners?
1: Uh, That's a good question. Uh, Like you said, asking around is a big thing, but also understanding you've got to go to the extremes too. Um, So like anything that we read in the news, there's an extreme on either side and the truth really is somewhere in the middle. Um, So you're going to have people who are their best friend and they're going to say nothing but nice things about them. And then they're going to have enemies where... They're going to say nothing but bad things about them. So the larger the sample size you can gather, the more you can understand of who they really are and what what they're willing to do. But I mean, if this is the age of the internet. You can really find anything about anyone and it's really easy to see through fake profiles, fake BS, people putting stuff out there that isn't real. It's, it's easier than ever to see through that. And because again it's the world of the internet you can talk to people in any location from your from your home and uh really understand who they're working with but it also comes down to okay are they doing what i want to do they'll they'll be the ones that can help you get there so um trying to, trying to think of a specific person, but anyway, the, you know, you try and find somebody who's done what you've done. And then you can ask them those questions if they're in that location and they can direct you to the right people as well. A lot of people are willing to give you those answers. Um, they may not be able to, they may not be willing to go to the extent of a lunch or, you know, an hour long meeting or anything like that, but it's a, Hey, I'm thinking of investing in Des Moines, Iowa what, what can you tell me about it? And, or who are the people to stay away from? Who are the people you like?
0: And they'll give you a a quick response. Yeah. One of the big things that I can also, uh, attest to probably is do they align with core values? Right. So do you have Mm -hmm. your set of core values and then ask some questions? Right. So anybody that wants to work here, like one of the questions is, You know, if you see a shopping cart in the middle of the parking lot, are you going to put it back, right? Something fairly simple, or you see like a paper towel on the ground, you know, you're going to pick it up. It's And that's
1: that's something that honestly I I didn't think about, uh, you know, with my current uh, real estate partner thinking through that, it's like we are aligned on a lot of those things, and you know i didn't I personally didn't ask those questions. It was just a matter of working together. I was able to pick up on those cues. but yeah, if you are doing the long distance thing, it is it is very smart to ask those questions because you want somebody that you're comfortable with, you know being around um, if you end up meeting them or things like that, as you want to be able to be comfortable with them. So they're not, you know, somebody who you go to lunch with them and they're rude to the waiter or waitress or hostess or whatever the case may be. You know, you don't want to put yourself in those situations where you're like, Oh, this is, this is cringy. You know, I, um, it's
0: uh,
1: aligning with those core values is a, a good, good aspect to uh, seek out.
0: And you can get there in probably ten questions. You know? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like it's not the typical like name a time that you screwed up, right? Or mm-hmm. name name something great you didn't, right? It's hey, uh, you're late to a wedding. You went to get a card. Do you and you see a shopping cart in the parking lot? Do you put it back? Right. Or what do you do, right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> questions like that and other conundrum stuff or, you know, give me examples of uh, discipline or going the extra mile or anything like that. Right. Um, get you more than you would probably for any other question um, you could even like questions like that. It'll, it's pretty clear to see where people stand and, mm-hmm going out and reaching to people will either validate or not what they said. And you'll see that pretty quickly too. Um, If you have a core values as a baseline and where they align with you. And for the most part, these are very black and white. Like there's very few times I've had a gray line. It's usually uh, like, yeah, they fit this one or no, they don't. Right. And then you do align on all of them. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and you know it's really easy to tell also with the people who just blow it off or like look i don't have time for these kind of questions it's like, okay well then we're <laughs> we not be we were we may not be the best aligned to to work together
0: yeah and for for all you guys out there like when people ask these types of questions and you don't have quote time for it that tells us as hiring managers that you now don't have time to like pay attention to a client mm-hmm. so why would i trust you if you don't answer these or do it in a timely fashion or put any thought behind them to pay any attention to my clients. If you can't answer a simple question.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: Where can they find you, Trent? Um,
1: so uh, primarily the the best way to find me is through Instagram. That's where I'm most active. Um, my more personal, uh, side of things is Trent V Bray. Um, but I tend to be most active on my current business venture hustle energy. Uh, so it's hustle dot energy. Um, and you can find me on Instagram or my
0: website, Trent Awesome. And tell us a little bit about hustle and why you started it.
1: Yeah, so that, uh, that was kind of born out of the, the idea of when I was stuck in that nine to five um, and I wanted to get out. What ultimately led me out of that was the real estate uh, market and uh, starting those house flips. However, um, the, the product idea that was born out of that was a focused product geared towards entrepreneurs that doesn't have caffeine Uh, Because I got done with my nine to five, I had my family obligations and all that where I wanted to still work on my side hustle. But, you know, I didn't want to pound a Red Bull and be up all night. So uh, this idea came from that. And, uh, you know, expanded upon that over time took about three years of full time work to actually bring the product to market. But fortunately, while I was had the real estate going on at the same time, so I was able to to dedicate the time to that. Um, But it, like I said, took about three years, but it launched a couple months ago. And uh, it's been a great, uh, a great learning experience for me in the power of perseverance and determination through so many obstacles. And I'm Grateful that I had the opportunity to do that, even though, like I said, it's just, uh, like as mentioned earlier, it's just the beginning of that process. But the nice thing is I still have my main source of income, the real estate that can uh, allow me to work
0: on this. And that's one of the big things, guys. It's going to take seven years to build a brand. And that's (laughs) coming from the CEO of Coca-Cola. So no matter what you're doing, no matter how many millions of dollars like Coca-Cola has to pour behind a brand, it takes seven years to really build a brand into something, you know, to, for, to be around for long enough, to have a big enough reach, to touch enough people um, and to get the repetitions in, in your messaging, who you are, what you stand for, what you do, the solution you provide, and for a lot of us to be there when the time is right for that person. Um, especially in construction, you know, not everyone's going to build a hundred million dollar building, but when, if you put in that time, effort, energy on the backside, when they're ready to build that, they'll come to you for that project. Um, And that goes from anywhere from a thousand square feet to a billion dollar stadium. Um, You know, whatever that is, you, you need to put the time in lay all that groundwork so that whenever the time is right for you to, close a deal, make the sale, provide that service, provide that product that you've been there long enough. They have enough trust in you and they like you and they want to do business with you and they're ready now to do business. So just like Trent has stayed in the game long enough to launch a product. Now he's, he's, you know, day one to build that from a now product and I've had it. It's great. tastes fantastic to, build that product, that solution, and then build the brand. So you got to, no matter where you're doing, whether you're starting your engineering company or construction company, build it to stay in the game, do whatever you have to, to stay in the game. If you quit, that is a permanent solution to a temporary, temporary problem. So you have to stay in the game.
1: And uh, speaking to that is, I know when that opportunity comes around for you, Dylan, that you're going to be the first name that comes to mind because your reputation does precede you. Like you have provided nothing but value for people and been a great resource for people, uh, that I know when that opportunity is presented for you, you're going to be the first person to be called because you want you, you're from the year and a half of knowing you, you're a fantastic human being. You're, you're definitely are true to your word and, you know what people see that. So uh, you're that that's out there in the world. And I know that uh, when the right opportunity comes along for your uh, engineering business and uh, your software solutions, it's, it's going to take off.
0: Yeah. Thanks, man. And it, it's, it's that for everyone out there, like you've got to stay in the game. You've got to have a good reputation, right? No matter who speaks about you watch your words, you know, don't say anything bad about anybody. Even if somebody slights you, you move on, right? You're never going to post that on social media. You're not going to do anything like that. Even if you have a bad experience, you're just not going to do business with them anymore and you're going to move on, right? If somebody asks, you are responsible to tell them the truth and what happened, but you don't need to broadcast it when it's when it happens, right? That's just speaking ill into the world. But when somebody asks you directly, you are responsible to tell the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Trent, this has been a fantastic episode. Any closing words for our listeners? Um,
1: I think you've really covered a lot of it of, you know what, the plan for that seven years, because really everything takes longer than you expect it to. For example, my product that took three years, I planned a three month run. Like that's, that's how long I thought it was going to take to bring to market and it took three years. So if you're planning the the financials for your construction company, you know what plan for that plan, for the eventuality that it could take longer, that it could take more, uh, time and effort than you originally expected. Um, and then stick with it. I have learned so much through, you know, being a 14 year old entrepreneur, if I would have stuck with it, where would I be now? Like that's been a great lesson for me to learn to stick with what I'm doing now, because who knows where I could have been if I would have stuck with it. And you know what? I don't regret it. It's been a great learning lesson, but you've got to be able to get through the hard times because it will make you stronger and it will help you get to that next step um that usually on the other side of those trials ends up being a breakthrough
0: absolutely yeah i mean the the trials the time in it it's going to compound right and year after year you're going to have less competition right <laughs> there's yes. going to be fewer players in the market, fewer people that have those skills. And if you're doing things right and building relationships, you're going to just keep adding relationships year after year. You're going to keep adding projects year after year, and that'll just keep making you stronger year after year, but you can't stop. Right. You cannot, you can't stop doing the things that got you to where you are, especially in construction, right? You still got to go to meetings. You still got to go to conferences. You still got to call the guys up, see how they're doing. That is all the stuff, submit proposals, right? You need to keep being there, being present and in the awareness of everybody that you end up talking to and meet throughout all these projects. You know, touch base with owners, how are their buildings doing, (laughs) how are they operating? How's their business? Uh, A lot of that stuff goes a really, really long way. about the fundamentals. (laughs) (laughs) Basics aren't that hard. You just gotta repeat them. Often, Trent. Well, thank you for coming on, guys. We have covered so much from 75 Hard to getting a mentor and a partner to help you know what you don't know or help see in blind spots and get you through it. How real estate can be a gateway to your freedom, your time, so that you can be there for your kids, your family, or just travel if you want, you know, ultimately, whatever you want to do in life. And then to you got to stick with it, you know, keep your core values, stick with it and stay to the basics. So guys, that is this episode of the Construction Corner Podcast, and I will see you guys next time.